All of us are on a complicated journey of faith, pursuing truth and deeper knowledge of God. But how do we know we're doing it right? Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing, and it can be a painful and difficult journey. And far too often, we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson, and one of my best friends, Marty Frederick, and I have agreed to join each other in creating exactly that kind of space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. We want to look honestly at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today and to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. We believe that doubt is not the enemy of faith but perhaps one of its greatest allies. We think that the Christian life is more about asking the right questions than it is about finding the answers. And we believe we are being called to continually ask those questions, renewing our minds and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining us on that journey. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Patterson, and my friend Marty is not with me today. Marty is hanging out in Alaska. I don't know what one does in Alaska, but Marty does. (laughs) So he's there having fun. Uh, But luckily, I do have a friend to hang out with today, and that is Carl Forehand. Carl, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I worked all day, but I'm fairly rejuvenated took a hot bath and i'm ready to go there we go man yeah, yeah that's also too uh your latest book launched today that's pretty that has to be pretty exciting it did it's my my third one in about three years so lost some of the excitement but i think this is the best one i've written so i'm really excited about it i'm also at the same time it seems like i'm uh, have developed maybe a patience or uh, something that feels a little bit more mature <laughs> <laughs> with this one. So I'm I'm confident and patient, and so that feels good. Yeah, sweet, awesome. Well, so for our listeners that uh, might not have had the privilege of encountering your work yet, can you just share a little bit about uh, who you are and and what you do? Yeah, I was. For about 20 years, a pastor, bivocational kind of pastor, I would go into churches and uh, kind of revitalize, get them going again. Uh, The last one they called a legacy church. It was an old Southern Baptist church, and they wanted to, to get it going again instead of just letting it die and replanting it. And so we were really good at that because we, um, I, I liked fitting in, and and as unhealthy as that probably is, I was really good at fitting into places and um, relating to people, and we would do pretty well, except you know, kind of when the people issue came came to to bear, you know, and people didn't get their way. So we we stepped down from that a few years ago as we were kind of deconstructing. And uh, began to examine our beliefs. Uh, I wrote a book about my deconstruction called Apparent Faith. Um, it's based on me as a father. 
and how I saw being a father. And, and since God is sometimes called a father, I related it to that. And then uh, last year, published a book called The Tea Shop based on an adventure uh, I had in Taiwan, <clears throat> where I was kind of exposed to presence and authenticity. And then this book kind of came full circle with a bunch of work that I've done uh, recently. And we can talk about that, I guess. But it uh, is called being uh, the a journey uh, of authenticity and presence, or something like that. <laughs> I haven't memorized it very well yet. I wrote it about a year ago, but um, you know, I I'm, I'm just sort of a mystic, um, a writer, an introvert, you know, and uh, uh, just here to here to talk with a friend. I yeah, and we know some of the same people uh, out there in this land. We we call it the desert sanctuary at my podcast and the places I hang out. So um, out here in the desert, I I was most worried because a lot of my friends left me um, when I deconstructed, and especially when we stepped away from church. But um, uh, there's plenty of people out here <laughs> and there, there's some good people out here and we have, we have a lot of community out here. So um, I hope that's enough. That's kind of basically who I am and what I'm doing. Sweet. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for sharing. That's um, I mean, I love the, the name of your podcast, <laughs> the desert sanctuary. Um, but the, I mean, just so you know, a little bit about myself, I, um, also, I've worked in vocational ministry since I graduated college. I know I look like I'm 16, uh, so you're probably wondering how old I actually am. I'm 27. Um, but actually, about two months ago, I made the decision to step away from vocational ministry, at least at this point in my life. Um, and now I work at a brewery in Maryland called 1623. Um, and this isn't public information yet, but it will be by the time this releases, uh, but I was actually just promoted to general manager. <laughs> wow! So now I'm now I'm pastoring people in a slightly different way. Slightly uh, different way, yeah. Yeah, but at a local craft brewery here in Maryland, so um, mm. that's a lot of fun. Well, cool, Carl. We have a, a like a really silly question that we kind of like to ask our guests. Um, just I don't know because we like ice hockey. Uh, do you have a favorite ice hockey team by any chance? I, the only thing I could relate that to is um, the stars. I think okay. they all came to Dallas. Uh-huh. And I lived in Dallas. And okay. that, so there for a few years, we watched uh, the Dallas Stars. That's about all I know. I And I know Gretzky. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, about, that's about it, except for, you know, movies and the the Ducks. It was a, the Ducks movie or something yep. like that. Yeah. Um, well, that suffices. That's a team. You were able to name a team. The Dallas Stars is an acceptable answer. <laughs> yeah, and that, is, that is truly all I know. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, one more thing just to kind of get to know you a little bit, and then we'll jump into uh, your book, which again is called Being a Journey Toward Presence and Authenticity. Um, but our podcast is called Rethinking Faith. And so we like to ask, what is perhaps the most important aspect of your faith that you feel you had to rethink? Um, it's, you know, it's gotta be, it's 
it's got to be hell and, and especially eternal conscious torment. Um, I, I just, and, and again, it was when I was considering my children, I said, you know, which one of my children could I do that to? Um, for me to, you know, I, I had um, things that I expected of them. I had punishments or disciplines or whatever for the things they did wrong or didn't do or did too much of or whatever. There was grounding and, you know, and things like that. Um, but I, I certainly never set up a system that they would fail at. And then I, I just, as I reevaluated, I could understand why I would get uh, overwhelmingly angry at a system I knew they were going to fail at. And so angry that I would, I would not only kill them, but torture them forever. And it, it just became unbelievable for me. And un, unfortunately, or, or maybe fortunately, um, other things began to come unraveled when you, when you take that away, when you begin to um, evaluate um, things like penal substitutionary atonement and, and to look at, when you start looking at things really closely and asking a lot of questions, some things um, kind of become unraveled, you know, and, but that was, that was probably the first thing, you know, um, considering uh, <clears throat> acceptance of, LGBTQ communities and things like that happened pretty early in it. Um, yeah, those are probably the first things that started to kind of come loose. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I know that can be a um, kind of a deep question uh, to kind of jump in with, but um, it just, I don't know. It. I love asking it up front because one, it ties into the name of the show, but also it um, and I say this over and over again, and I stole it from Rob Bell, um, but I just love that there's an invitation present when we're willing to go deep enough into our story that other people can find themselves there mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. So I love doing that up top. So thank you for that. Um, but today, yeah, we I, I wanted to have you on because I'm excited about your new book and you were very gracious and you uh, sent me a copy in the mail and you wrote a little note in it for me, which I really appreciate it. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's called Being a Journey Toward Presence and Authenticity. And so just kind of for starters, uh, can you just share with us a little bit of the story about how this book kind of came to be? Okay. Yeah, and it's it's a little bit difficult to explain, but I'll, I'll do my best. The third part of it is is called learning to be, and I say that first because that was the part that was written first. Um, in uh, 2018, we went through uh, some things. I went through a transformational experience in a in a uh, um, program. Uh, that how it was an experiential kind of program to get to the bottom of your your issues and so on and very in depth and so on. In that, we um, discovered I discovered that I was I was by nature playful and adventurous. And um, later that year, we went to Taiwan and had an adventure there. But it was when my itinerary got smashed that I 
started having this adventure in Taiwan and ended up in places I didn't plan to be and things like that. And that introduced me um, to um, different things. You know, we ended up in a tea shop with a Buddhist man and he didn't try to teach us anything about faith or convert us, but, but there's, it's a whole, that's a whole nother story, but that happened to us and it kind of changed me a little bit. But then as we're going deeper um, later that year in the fall, um, I went to a, to a, a party or we had a party hosted a party and uh, something happened that that weekend. And, and the way I would explain it now is that all that shadow material that we had stuffed down over the years um, kind of came out all at once. That 20 years of being in ministry, um, not having time to deal with issues, stuffing it down, and even things from my childhood, it, it just seemed like all of that came out at once. So... The third part of the book is called Learning to Be because it's kind of after the fact. It was later on in the story. And I wrote that first because I was afraid to write the first part. And then um, eventually I got the courage to sit down and write it. My friend told me, you don't have to publish it. Um, and I, I didn't really intend to. But I but once I started writing it, then my friend Mark Karras, who's a, a clinician, you know, um, is that the right word? Cl clinician, he's a therapist. He, he uh, read that and he's, this is really good. But he said, you need to go deeper. And so then that became the second part of the book. So once all of those parts were finished and they were kind of written separately, um, it, it just just kind of I was sitting on my porch and said, you know, we need to flip this around and put these together. And it's a then it's a book. And then I, I called Ralph, my publisher, right away. And later on, Sophia picked it up. But um, I, I don't think I really answered your question. But then um, how it ends up now is that that the first part is a really uh, vulnerable painful story about my life, about how I began to, through a process called focusing, kind of put some things back together uh, and opened me up and um, started, you know, sharing that with spiritual directors and so on. And then, then when I went deeper, you know, in the deeper issues, deeper things uh, in my life, and then finally learning to be and, and learning to exist and learning to uh, have presence and authenticity. And the way I say it now is uh, being where you are and being who you are. That's authenticity and presence. So did I answer your question at all there? Yeah, absolutely. Very <laughs> much so. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I really love that. Um, and I think too, the, um, an early distinction that you made in the book, um, I mean, it might have even been within the first page or two, um, was you pointed out this uh, distinction between human beings and human doings. And so mm -hmm. often, you know, we're, we're these human doings rather than beings. And I remember when um, I first encountered that language and how like 
transformative that was for myself that kind of pushed me in a similar journey as you know to you that you uh, had the courage to actually write about in your book um, so I really appreciated that and I also think too that the um, the title of your book I think is really fantastic um, but like if if you're not present with it you could miss it um, so just a question specifically based on your title um, why do you think it's important to acknowledge that being is in fact a journey and not just a destination not a destination yeah that's that's a very good question because um one of the one of my new practices is stillness mm. you know and that's real important for me when i learned centering prayer you know you, you would just sit and be still and be quiet and my word was always stillness because uh, I'm an introvert, I'm quiet, but I wasn't ever still inside, you know. And so, so stillness uh, was important, but but being doesn't mean that you necessarily uh, go somewhere and sit and meditate and stay there, you know, and live there. Um, we we call it a lot of some people call it a journey of being and becoming. Mm-hmm. So um, I I like those two parts of the Bible where the Father says I am, and when Jesus says the same thing, and He says before Abraham was, I am, I exist, ego me, um, that, but He didn't. Uh, he didn't, I don't think he said that in a finite way to say, I am and I'm finished and I'm not um, going, I exist. And existing means you keep, that, that you're progressing, you're moving. Um, but like, like today, um, I've since, you know, leaving ministry and everything, I work some hourly, like you're working at the brewery and things. I right now work on an assembly line, very fast paced, very doing oriented, right? Doing things all day long. Um, But it helps me to think about being where you are and being who you are. So um, I need to be myself when I'm there, but I also need to be where I am. Um, Not wishing I was somewhere else, but being there uh, and being present, and that's that's going to require you to to act, but it's different than than doing things to get your um, identity, um, you know, to get your satisfaction. Um, but it says, I think being says that while I'm doing the assembly line thing, I can be myself and I can be where I'm at. But also when I come home and if I meditate or something like that or do some yoga or just sit and talk to my wife, then I can be present and I can be authentic. And those, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a journey of discovery. I, I like to talk about my reconstruction as, you know, people use the word deconstruction and we're almost getting tired of that word already. <laughs> but recon, I like to talk about my reconstruction as uh, an evolution more than a reconstruction 
I, I just don't want to put all the pieces back together and be something else. Uh, I want to keep being and becoming um, who who I am, right? And I, I know it's, that may not make a lot of sense. The last thing I said, but um, it's being and becoming. Yeah. No, I love it. I we're on the same wavelength, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I totally get what you mean, and um, it reminds me of like. Uh, the idea of being present, um, there was like a really helpful metaphor. I'm trying to remember the author's name and I can't. And so I apologize author, if you ever listen to this, um, but in his book, he talks about what he calls like the, um, the sacrament of now or like the sacrament of the present. And he says, so many of us live in like this bifurcated state of being where we're not actually present here where we're at. And it's similar to if you, uh, we're going on vacation and you drive to the airport and you park your car and you get on the airplane and then you realize that you left your car unlocked. And so mm-hmm. even though you're flying in this plane over, you know, the beautiful ocean, your mind is back in the parking lot in the car. And he says, mm-hmm. that's how a lot of us go through life. Mm-hmm. And that like, he was like, you have to stop doing that <laughs> right. and like be present. Like you're talking about Yeah. Um, yeah. now. Yeah. When in the the tea shop book when we were in Taiwan, I didn't talk a lot about this, but the very first thing that happened in Taiwan was my son came to pick me up. My son's thirty years old. Um, some for some reason he didn't have a car, <laughs> so we had to walk from the airport to where we were going, and we were so I I, I should speak for myself. I was so agitated and and out of sorts because the itinerary got busted that I um you know I'd went to Taiwan said I'm going to have an adventure right and I got it all planned out (laughs) which is you know something it's contradictory at least and but then when the itinerary got messed up the very first thing and the next thing would be the hotel was not reserved and we had to go to another one. But here I am walking through a foreign country that I've never been to with all these sights and sounds and smells. And, and, and literally it's an adventure to walk down the sidewalk because they're, they're all uh, abnormal and narrow sometimes, not narrow other times. Sometimes it's right by the road. Um, and there's, there's um, you know, signs in Mandarin and things all around me. And I'm, I'm totally missing the adventure, you know, that I, had, that I had hoped for. And it was right in front, you know, it was right in front of me. And that kept happening uh, throughout the whole trip. Um, yeah, I don't know why I told you that. It, it related to what you said. But yeah, no, it, said. it most definitely <laughs> did. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a, a parable that um, there was a, so he has passed away, but there was a Jesuit priest named uh, Anthony de Mello. Have you heard mm-hmm. of him at all? Yes, yes. Yeah, I really like his stuff. And he he tells this parable of like um, a bus and the bus is driving, you know, along the coast and it's beautiful. There's palm trees, there's all these exotic birds, there's the ocean, there's the beach, and it's so beautiful. But then on the inside of the bus, all the shades are down and everybody is inside and they're arguing over 
who gets to sit in what seat and who has the best job and who makes the most money and who's the most beautiful and, Mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And the whole time they're on the journey, but the shades are down and they're actually missing everything that's going on around them because they're so preoccupied with these other things. So, I mean, yeah, I think you're like, you lived that parable. (laughs) So it's, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, um, one of the major themes that you talked a lot about in your book, and you already kind of used some of this language, um, involves doing uh, shadow work. Mm-hmm. And so for listeners who maybe have no idea what that is or aren't, aren't really familiar with that language, can you just uh, tell us a little bit, what what do you mean when you say that um, we have to do our shadow work? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I guess it originates from Carl Jung, you know, which has only been a hundred years ago or so. Um, I just thought he's, <laughs> he's got a funny um, parable or whatever told about his life. It's anyway, it's about an enormous turd falling on a cathedral. I just thought of that once <laughs> while I was talking. Um, so shadow, shadow, the, my best resource for shadow these days is Robert Augustus Masters. And I refer to him, I think, in a couple of my books. He has a book called Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark. He also has a great book called uh, Spiritual Bypassing. That's really, really good. But so I get a lot of my information from him and another one of my friends. But um, shadow is everything that we've... um, tried to forget um, or uh, repressed or uh, just not been able to deal with. Some things happen to you, especially when you're younger and you can't, you just can't deal with it right now or weren't weren't allowed to deal with it, didn't know how to deal with it. All of that stuff is repressed. I, what I, what I would call the shadow. And so uh, there remains trying to be resolved. Um, and when it gets triggered, um, as my wife says, it comes out sideways. Uh, so that happens to us still, happens to us often in our marriage. And in big time happened to me in the first part of this book that when, when it gets triggered, it comes out sideways. And uh, it is our bodies trying to resolve what was stored there. Um, an instance for me was when I was uh, in second grade, I was required to take care of my two younger siblings and I couldn't handle that. You know, it, it was too much for me, um, but I didn't know how to talk about that and I didn't know how to resolve that. And um, in a focusing session, and all focusing does, basically, it's deep listening, where someone will say, um, you know, describe how you feel. You may be feeling something about the current day, current time. And as you begin to talk about that and say, and talk about how you feel and put handles on it and say, I feel like this, or a part of me feels like this is probably more helpful. But a part of me feels, and when you do that, um, some of that will come to the surface or, you know, we just get in touch with it. And 
and literally by Gene Gendlin, who, who, who kind of pioneered focus, focusing, uh, said, what is unfelt stays the same, but when it is felt, it changes. And when we're able to be present, there's that word again, when we're able to be present with those uh, emotions and feelings, um, then it has a chance to shift into something different. And now if my wife triggers me, <laughs> and I shouldn't use her as a bad example, right? But when, when something triggers me, then I may be more apt now to respond to it instead of react to it, right? And Laura and I have done quite a bit of focusing. And we, a lot of times now will say, you know, um, you're doing that and that's making me feel this, um, but I'm not responding. You know, my hands aren't shaking. My voice is not quivering. My, my, I'm not raising my voice. I'm, um, it's more like a, a response instead of a reaction. And so that, that's, that's what it feels like for me. And in a big way, um, you know, what I talked about in being this book, um, was like that. It started with a big event like that. And then we worked, worked on further pieces of it. And even in the book kind of sorted through some of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so then like the, the shadow side of us is not something that we should try to reject or repel or stuff down, but rather you're saying it's the opposite. We should try to sit with those things and be present and seek to understand and acknowledge uh, yeah. those aspects of the shadow. Is that right? Yeah. And a lot of times in religion, we're, we're taught not to trust our feelings. Right. And, it's, and it's actually, you know, that part of us. And, and a lot of times it comes out in the inner child, but, but also in the inner critic. And we've got to have the key word is compassion. When you have compat, when you sit with compassion for both of those things, you have a chance of of it shifting and being, you know, healing, becoming something else, um, something better. It, it, like I said, it it doesn't really. Um, I don't think it ever really goes away totally. It just changes. It evolves, or you know, heals, or something. And it's really hard to explain, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's presence, being with them deeply, listening to them. We might say, um, um, you know, can you just sit with that for a while and see what it has to tell you? Um, see what you would have to say to that younger version of yourself or wh whatever, you know, however that comes out. Um, and it's deeply, deeply healing and therapeutic and we've we've loved it yeah yeah for sure and i it's so cool being able to like talk to somebody else who's like experienced these kind of things um because when you talk to people who aren't familiar with like the way you're speaking it can sound kind of like weird <laughs> or woo woo but i know like for me one of the things um <clears throat> that i've always had a hard time with uh is i have like a pretty strong <clears throat> excuse me 
um, aversion to uh, authority and specifically male leadership. Mm. Um, and that comes from past experiences. Uh, the first church I ever worked at, um, I worked for a super abusive narcissistic leader who was uh, verbally ab- abusive, emotionally abusive, spiritually abusive. Um, and so these different, my body would have these different responses. And then I noticed that even in a really healthy church, you know, when I was working at a very healthy church, um, I would have these affective responses, like my boss, you know, who was a male would text me and my immediate response was fear. My heart would sink, Mm -hmm. the anxiety would kick in. And so in spiritual direction, um, one of the techniques that um, my spiritual director said used was exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talked about the inner guardian and mm-hmm. how that guardian served a very good purpose for mm-hmm. you. And so those feelings of anxiety and things like that, that would surface. Um, again, it sounds weird to people who don't aren't familiar with talking it this way, but you, instead of trying to push that off, she was like, no, you have to acknowledge, like, thank your inner guardian for protecting you. Like mm-hmm. you did your job and you did it well, but right now I don't need that protection. This is a right. safe environment. This is a right. safe person. And so that yeah. that inner work um, has just been so, so healing and helpful. Yeah, and so, sometimes you'll, you'll say to that, whether you call it a critic or a guardian, um, I appreciate that, that you're trying to protect me. But right. right now I need you. I, I sometimes have people just hold their hand up and say, you know, I, I need you to chill out. <laughs> right, and right. literally, and you literally say things like that to to get you in the right frame, and um, it's amazing what happens. But I think it's it's compassion. Mm-hmm. That was the key word. Yeah, absolutely. We like to have compa- because sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves, you know, and we're the hardest on our, you know, our inner child, even even though. Um, you know, like, um, you know, a teacher may be extremely compassionate to her students, but to that younger part of herself, she might be tougher on herself than she was, than she is on her, her own students. And it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like one of the, like the other things that was really difficult for me was first, um, getting comfortable with just sitting and being present with Jesus. Because uh, mm-hmm. during my time as a pastor, I was always really good at telling other people that God loved them and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But I never really believed that for myself. Um, and so a lot of the work I did was just sitting with Jesus and being present with Jesus. And then my spiritual director had me like, okay, now how do you feel about introducing your inner critic to Jesus? How, you know, how might that? work out for you or how much you know and it's just again it's it probably sounds crazy to listeners but these things are so insanely uh healing and transformative and like Mm -hmm. deeply spiritual and Mm -hmm. um yeah i'm just i'm so glad that you were willing to like share your story your journey of doing that like i think um that's really cool so thank you for doing that yeah it may be a unique a unique vantage point for me because um, I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily the expert on things like focusing, and I'm not a not a clinician. You know, um, I'm I'm the user. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of from that viewpoint, I would encourage, I do encourage people with this book or with the companion guide that goes with it to, to get a real uh, spiritual director, uh, therapist that understands these kind of modalities and so on to, to journey with you, to be a companion with you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'd highly recommend it too, that, um, for a while, um, on the podcast listeners, any of you have been listening for any, you know, extended amount of time, you've probably heard me talk about quote, going to therapy. And, uh, really I was going to see a spiritual director, Sid, and she would always get mad at me when I called her my therapist. Cause she's like, Josh, I'm not a therapist, <laughs> but, um, I highly, highly recommend getting a spiritual director as well. And, um, easily the best money I've ever spent hands down. Um, but make, make sure and distinguish, you know, a lot of people think of spiritual director, they think of what they got in church a lot, right? Was, was a theology uh, director, you know, or a pastor with no experience that was trying to counsel you. Um, it's different than that. It, it's, it's really a, an evocative listener, uh, a deep listener uh, that helps you hear what you're already trying to say. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I guess just a few, a few other things, um, that might be fun to talk about. Cause we, I mean, we could go all yeah. over the place. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, all yours, man. Whatever cool. you want to do. Sweet. Well, uh, hmm. I'm trying to see, I have all my notes in front of me. Uh, but I've kind of let them go and I've been just trying to have like a more natural conversation with you uh, because it's cool just to connect in that way. But um, I think one thing that you talk about in the book that will especially resonate uh, with our listeners is the idea of certainty um, mm. or uncertainty. And so one thing I feel like that so many people strive for, and especially growing up, at least in my experience within the church, um, was this idea of certainty, you have to have certainty, you have to have certainty. Um, but you actually suggest that leaning into uncertainty um, has brought about transformation in your life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I guess, you know, it's just one of the things about religion that's troubling is that at any point, you know, there's tens of thousands of different denominations and religions and things like that. And all of them are pretty, pretty certain uh, about what they believe. And so, so anytime you take a point in history and uh, I call it, draw a circle around it, you know, you say, this is it, this is what we're going to do and follow. And this is what we believe. Number, number one, you quit growing, you know, you quit searching or discovering or any of those things that are pretty normal for us. And we just start to be real certain uh, about whatever we decided to be certain about, you know, and looking back, it's, it's weird. Um, but while we're there, it seems normal, you know, uh, I want to be certain because it gives me one less thing to worry about. I don't have to worry about my theology. It's set, you know, there's black and white and, um, but, you know, earlier in the program, I talked about 
um, they talked about, um, this lost my train of thought. Um, uh, yeah, oh yeah, I talked, instead of, Hopefully you have some editing. Yeah, Mar we'll have Marty take care of it for right. you. So, <laughs> Thanks, Marty. Or it's okay. I mean, I don't mind. Um, yeah, no but, worries. So, so earlier in the program, I was talking about deconstruction and reconstruction. So I like right. the word evolution better. Um, uh, in my opinion, we stop evolving uh, when we stop asking questions and when we stop sure. discovering and the, the way I like to describe it, and I, I think it's in another book or something, but my when my brother and I, his, well, I don't have to say his name, but when my brother and I would go out and just, they used to just let kids go and they'd send them <laughs> off in the morning, they'd go somewhere and they'd just come home when it's time to eat at night. And we would just go exploring. We'd follow this drainage ditch all the way back up to where our school was. And then we went across the street and we saw there was, there was like a grade school or something across there. And we just kind of looked over there and said, what is that? And when we got over there, that saw there's a playground. So we played on that for a little bit until we saw an old tractor out in the field and we, we could just barely see it. So we, we had to go investigate. And we went and looked at what that, and then once we got to the tractor, we could see some trees over in the distance. And we said, what is that? We went and checked that out, and there eventually we got to an, a pond uh, out in the middle of this field, and we found a tree we could climb up in, and we started doing backflips off of it. We had the time of our life out there. Uh, when my mom found out about it and saw it, she was horrified. But, uh, I mean, the adventure, the discovery, um, the life-giving thing, I think, that goes on when we when we ask questions, and and that's the way I picture it. Because our you know our podcast is called the Desert Sanctuary, so being out in the desert, I pictured as you know what's that just over the next hill? I, I want to go investigate it, ask some questions, and um, we were afraid when we were deep in religion, that if we did that, we would slide down some kind of slippery slope. And what I found was the opposite of that. Was It, it wasn't a, a dangerous slide into moral degeneration or anything like that. It, it's been uh, some of the best discoveries of my life have been the last three years, three or four years. Uh, of just continually asking questions, you know, um, if, if it's, I've never done yoga, I wonder what that's like. And in religion, I was, that I was told, no, we're certain that's not right. <laughs> we don't know why, but we're certain that's not right. Um, but what if we investigated it? What if I went and tried it, you know, and, and I found some, some real physical benefits from it. Um, so, uh, yeah, un uncertainty uh, is a little scary at first. Uh, you know, it feels like being on wobbly legs and you have that PTSD of, you know, what if God punishes me for that stuff? You know what I mean? 
and you, you have some of those fears at first and it's uh, it's scary at first, but uh, once you realize that's where the adventure is, that's where the discovery is, that's where uh, we're going to move forward, you know, in our relationships and our like healing, like we've been talking about and things like that. Um, it's, I, I'm just more and more happy there every day. We do have struggle. I mean, like Laura and I will sit and talk and we'll have struggles. Like, shouldn't we be settling on something, you know? <laughs> and and for now, it's no. And one of my friends used to say, um, you know, do you want to deconstruct everything till there's nothing left? And I say, yes, I do. <laughs> I want to deconstruct everything till only what's left is genuine and pure and, and right. Uh, and right, not in the sense of, I got to defend it forever, but but that it feels authentic and I can be present with it and have peace. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you you hit the nail on the head and I feel like stepping into uncertainty is where I really started to experience uh, faith in a way that felt authentic, you know, mm. to, to actually say I have faith in something because... Mm if you're certain about something, you don't need to have faith. (laughs) You just know it's true, you know? So like the uncertainty bit and um, starting to learn and experience, um, you know. Uncertainty is maintained by fear and control. Absolutely. I mean, so it's hard to call it faith. Right. No, I'm I'm 100% with you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... One other thing that I think might might be helpful um, for, I mean, our time together now, because I think, again, we're not even scratching the surface of your book. So listeners, please uh, do yourself a favor and, and grab a, a, a copy of Carl's latest book. But um, something that I just think is so pertinent, especially now during COVID, um, I mean, things are kind of opening up a little bit more now, um, but we've been a lot of us within isolation and lonely and things like that. And as humans, we really desire connection with one another. Like we're kind of created uh, by relationship for relationship is a a phrase I stole from somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember who it sounds like something Richard Rohr would say maybe. Um, But so like, what might it look like or what has it looked like for you to find that connection by being present with the divine and how might others, you know, how, how's that led to transformation for you? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm an introvert by nature, but like I said, I was kind of restless with that and never could be still. Um, the last, um, I think the last third of that book um, is called being with you know, all the titles start with being with, you know, and it's like um, one of them I remember is being with my dog and being with nature. Um, like, you know, we, we are um, vegans. We are plant-based. We have been for about six years. So we grow some vegetables and so on, but we, we grow sprouts and it's amazing to me that a sprout, you just put it in water, put seeds in water. You don't even have to have any soil and it grows up. Those seeds grow up to be a, 
little plant, you know, about an inch long or whatever, half inch long. And it's super concentrated nutrition in there. But also they, it's amazing to me that that seed knows how to um, become a little broccoli sprout. And eventually it's gonna become a broccoli plant and everything that it needs is in there. All that intelligence and that um, is, is buried in that little tiny seed. Um, and one, another time I was sitting out on my porch uh, in the morning, listening to the birds start to chirp and there, I noticed there was a drum beat and a, just a, an order um, to everything that was going on out there, you know, except for the humans. <laughs> and, then, and yeah, we're tremendously ordered, you know, in our bodies and so on. But then out and back, I have a compost pile, you know, where all my vegetable scraps go and some long clippings. And all of that, you mix it with a little water and let it decompose for about a year. And it becomes some of the best soil. Um, so that's one example of, of just being with nature. And when I just sit and, and consider that, um, it, it teaches me. You know, another chapter is called Being With My Dog. You know, and I found out about authenticity and presence when I really uh, sit down and just consider my dog. Um, so um, it's, it's, again, it's that discovery. If you're willing, um, it seems like a lot of my life was taking what I already knew and trying to prove it um, in other things. And so when I mentioned centering prayer before, centering prayer is just sitting. And you, you said sitting with Jesus, kind of like that, right? Uh, but sitting um, and not know, not assuming I knew the answer that I, the question that I needed an answer to or an answer that I wanted validated or anything like that. Um, just to set and not expect anything, but just to be there. And when I, when I can let myself just be present, whether it's with nature or with my dog or with crisis or with the poets and prophets or whatever it is, when I can just sit and be, um, that, that's where I find the discovery. Yeah. Yeah, that for sure. Yeah, no, you did good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it just one thing that, that came to mind, uh, briefly was just this idea that like, um, one of our biggest obstacles to knowing God is that we think we know God. <laughs> <laughs> our ideas and our concepts of God keep us from knowing um, in a deep and true way. And I think I, I didn't realize that until I started doing the kind of things you're talking about, mm -hmm. like actually being present and being with. Um, yeah. And so I don't know, listeners, like if you want a fantastic, like true story, a real person, uh, whose life has been transformed by these kind of things. Like Carl, I think yours is the go-to book for it, man. I think you did a wonderful job. Um, yeah. Sharing your story and just, um, but also like giving 
like very practical and honest and everyday ways um, to be transformed. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. a gift. So thank you so much um, for putting yourself out there, um, mm-hmm. for being present and authentic, to use your words, and for being mm-hmm. vulnerable um, mm-hmm. and sharing your story of being with us, sharing your journey. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. It's been fun. It has been like fun. Like you said, I felt like we're just get st- getting started. I know. It's crazy, right? I, I would love to, to sit around and hang out and talk even more, but um, I actually have to, to get ready and jump on another call here. But absolutely, would love to have you back on the show again at some point. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also, before we wrap things up, just so uh, listeners who are also like, man, this has just not been long enough. We went two more hours and... A commentary. <laughs> um, where can people find you? Where can they go to connect with you and your work? I have a, um, a website called carlforehand.com. Um, it's real creative. Uh, Kit with Carl with a K and forehand like in tennis. So F-O-R-E-H-A-N-D. Yeah. And um, that basically points to any everything but you can find me at my blogs at patheos and then the um the desert sanctuary podcast is all over the place but it originates from the desert sanctuary.org which facebook has banned it from forwarding what i so i have to i don't know why but they did and when i um forward that or when I create that, when I create the podcast there, it goes out to Apple and Google and all the places. So you just look for it out there. Uh, the Desert Sanctuary Facebook group, Desert Sanctuary podcast, but carlforehand.com will get you to all of it, including kind of pointers to the books and stuff like that. Sweet. Well, yeah, I'll I'll be sure to go ahead and link all of those things in our show notes. That way, uh, listeners, you can find Carl very easily. That way, all you have to do is scroll down and click a button, and there is Carl. Yeah, Yeah, so Carl, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for your flexibility. Listeners, uh, I asked Carl last minute if he could do a time change, and he was ever so gracious and um, said yes, absolutely. Actually, I think what you said is something along the lines of – he who is flexible can't get bent out of shape. And mm-hmm. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Blessed are the flexible. There we go. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so Blessed much, Carl. This yeah. has been you a bet. lot of fun. Um, yeah. So thank you for your work. And I wish you the best of luck. And as this book released today, um, yeah, listeners go pick up a copy and support Carl. <laughs> All right, man. Guys, thank you again so much for listening. Have a great rest of whatever you're doing. Uh, Peace and love and go Caps.